Welcome back homeschoolers and happy Black History Month. I'm your host Kendra Price, a former public school science teacher turned homeschool mom to my four kids. I'm in the eighth year of our homeschool journey and I can honestly say that an evolution of thinking has occurred from year to year. As I've homeschooled, one thing that has become crystal clear for me as a black homeschooler is the importance of teaching accurate history to my children. It's imperative that they recognize the significant contributions black and brown people have made to this country and to this world. It's important for them to see themselves reflected in the books, curricula, and lessons they learn. While one would assume this realization to be an obvious one, it, is, it isn't if you take into account the trend across the country to suppress, diminish, and ban any and everything reflective of accurate history and the equitable representation of black and brown experiences in public schools. Thank God we homeschool. One curriculum that has been a treasure to our homeschool when sparking conversations on race, American history, and the experiences of black people in this country has been the 1619 Project. Though the 1619 Project has been fraught with criticism, detractors, and legislation seeking to ban it from pu public schools classrooms, it continues to stand as a testament to the resilience, perseverance, and resolve of the enslaved and their descendants in spite of struggle. It's also a testament to the tenacity of Nicole Hannah-Jones, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who created the 1619 Project. In this episode, you'll hear our clubhouse discussion of the 1619 Project, why teaching accurate history is so important for the next generation, and how we can serve within our communities to ensure all of our children are educated in truth rather than myths. Before we get started, I want to point everyone to the link that I've placed on the stage. So this is a Google Doc that has a link to all of the resources that we'll talk about today. So, and when I say talk about, like in conversation. So for example, um, you can, there's a link to a PDF version of the 1619 Project that you can get along with links to the free curriculum, uh, links to the podcast, links to the Amazon um, link for the um, book Born on the Water, which is a children's book based on the 1619 Project. Um, and then I throw in some additional links. Um, I did an interactive um, digital notebook that you can use in your homeschool if you choose to incorporate the 1619 Project. Um, as well as a video on how to create your own digital interactive notebooks if you want to add or you want to um, create your own. So please check that out. It's, everything on there is free um, and it's a good resource. So, did you put those links together? I did. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Okay, so... I want to first start off with introductions. I'm going to quickly introduce myself and then pass the mic. So my name is Kendra Price. Um, I'm in my eighth year of homeschooling. I have four children. I have a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, soon to be 11, a 15-year-old, and an 18-year-old who will graduate from homeschool this year. Um, I am a former public school chemistry teacher turned homeschool mom. Um, but I still teach science. <laughs> and um, I actually have a blog and a website, or, or a website rather, 
a Heart the Number Four Homeschool and a podcast. So in addition to these links, I encourage you to also check out my blog, um, A Heart for Homeschool, because I have reviews not just on the 1619 Project, but also reviews on other Black history curricula that you can use um, in your homeschool. So I'm going to pass the mic now to Ms. Phyllis and Tyra. Ms. Phyllis? Can you hear me? I can. Oh, okay. I think I forgot to uh, unmic. Um, my name is Miss Phyllis. Uh, I homeschooled for over uh, 12 years. Uh, ended uh, my homeschooling journey last year with my son. Uh, I am also an ESL teacher by training. Um, and I try to still engage in the uh, homeschooling community because I feel as though I have a lot to share after so many years of homeschooling. Um, and I'll pass the mic on to Tyra. Good morning. <clears throat> my name is Tyra. Um, sorry about my voice. <clears throat> I uh, homeschooled my daughter for eight and a half years, though she graduated as an unschooler and a game schooler. And I can't get away from... <laughs> Um, wanting to talk about homeschooling and unschooling. Can't get away from them, like Miss Phyllis. I, I still feel like I have a lot to offer and want to be just within the community. So I'm very excited about talking about this because I love, love history. Awesome. So um, before we get started, I'm going to do a little intro, which is like background information but I want to share personally why I'm so passionate about the 1619 Project, in spite of the controversy surrounding um, the curriculum um, and also the controversy surrounding the the essays and the author or Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, so I told you that I've been homeschooling um, for eight years. And with my kids, and I'm speaking primarily to my two oldest daughters, um, so I have struggled in the past when it came to history and trying to, um, determine or decide for myself how much of, I guess, the painful aspects of history I was going to expose them to in terms of based on their age. Um, and I hesitated because I've heard, you know, like, you know, a lot of white parents come out and say they just want their kids to be children. They don't want to burden them. Um, they don't want to, they want them to just, you know, not have to, to deal with that and to be innocent. And I was guilty of feeling like that. Um, because I felt like, you know, I went to a predominantly white school in the deep South in Louisiana. And from a young age, um, I was having to take on entire classrooms and the teacher. And it was a burden, which is why going to an HBCU for me was a breath of fresh air. Because for once in my life at that time, I didn't have to speak for my entire race. I didn't have to um, constantly be on edge about being on point to articulate true history or true facts against the ignorance and some of the bias 
biases that I encountered from not just my peers, but from my teachers. And so I did not want my kids to be burdened with that. Well, fast forward, George Floyd happened. You you know, my kids are Black children. Um, My daughters are Black children, young ladies, and you can't, you just can't shield them from that. But once I decided, okay, we need to like, because they had studied history, but really study history in a balanced, nuanced way. Then I was like, how do I discuss just the depth and and give them a really deep perspective or a wide breadth of how the Black experiences um, of people here in this country? And that's when I came came across the 1619 Project. Um, and I read it and I was just, just, I was just blown away and I developed, um, digital interactive notebooks for my daughters to memorialize their thoughts, to find, I have links in it. Like I have over 60 links to other historical sites, videos, et cetera, that corroborate the things that are present in the essay that my daughters were able to research and look at. And then they were able to record their own thoughts. And just personally, from that, from the 1619 Project, we were able to springboard into conversations, into other curricula that went into more depth in terms of um, a survey of U.S. history, for example, or, or Black history, not just, you know, not just U.S. history, but the... Um, before, you know, we even came to this country, et cetera. Um, and my daughter, my oldest really has <laughs> taken hold and I'll share about her experiences and, and its impacts with you guys a little later. But I just wanted to share um, with you why I am so passionate. Um, additionally, I'm going to read to you this this introduction that I have. Um, and then I'm going to pause and see if Miss Phyllis or Tyra would have anything that they wanted to say. And then we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of the actual 1619 project and the specifics, okay? So bear with me. So many of us are familiar with the opening quote from Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. My perspective on American history also reflects that duality. America is a great country, but has not always acted in the greatest of ways. The American ideals of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are enshrined in the Constitution, yet these ideals haven't always applied to everyone. America is considered the land of opportunity, but it has never been the land of equal opportunity. Both the positive and negative aspects of our country make up our national identity. However, in American public schools and history curricula, only one aspect has been glorified and uplifted to the neglect and dismissal of other aspects that serve to bring in a more accurate and balanced understanding. In recent years, I'd say the last two or three years, the nation has been embroiled in a national debate 
over the teaching of accurate history, namely in public schools, that has also impacted the homeschool community as well. We've been forced to examine what has been taught in our history curricula and analyze the impacts of our failure to impart accurate history to the next generation. There has been the passing of legislation in red states to ban the teaching of critical race theory, which has never been taught in public schools, by the way, but is a theory that reveals the insidious presence of systemic racism in the fabric of our country. Now, the term critical race theory has been co-opted as a dog whistle or code word to cut out any discussions on race and eliminate Black history or the inclusion of books, curricula, movies that feature Black and brown people. All of this to preserve white fragility. Although white students are now a minority in U.S. public schools, it has been white parents shown at school board meetings across the country making the claim that teaching accurate history promotes hate and teaches their children to hate themselves or feel guilty for being white. Turning that question on its head, I wonder what whitewashing history promotes and how erasing minority contributions and experiences from history has impacted our children. But I digress. While these discussions have caused parents, politicians, and educators to scrutinize their child's history and literature curricula, for homeschoolers in particular, these discussions have revealed just how significant our parental role is in ensuring our children are educated with accurate history. So much of this national controversy and ongoing debate began with the New York Times release of the 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones in August of 2019. In this conversation, we're going to discuss the 1619 Project um, just to give you an idea of what it is, and I'm going to stop talking and I'll open the things up. So what is the 1619 Project? It is a series of essays by various writers, including Nicole Hannah-Jones, who was awarded a Pulitzer Prize for her first essay. It chronicles American history from the year 1619, which is the year when African slaves first landed in the American colonies to present day. I know there's been some debate about that, but in recent a recent uh, speech, Nicole Hannah-Jones actually quoted Martin Luther King, who also alluded to the year 1619. So it's not as though she just came out of the blue with this. Each of these essays in the 1619 Project speak to specific time periods within American history, from slavery to the Great Nadir period, Reconstruction to the Great Migration, Jim Crow, the Civil Rights Movement to modern day. And as the writers go through these periods, they highlight how racism and discrimination have been woven into the fabric of American society from its inception. Some of the aspects that they cover in the 1619 essays is housing discrimination, health care, agriculture, um, the judicial system, the economic sector, music and entertainment, and politics. So that's where we're going to start. Um, you have the what the 1619 Project is. I'm going to hush and extend um, the invitation for anyone else. If you have any comments so far, that you are welcome to come to the stage. And I want to extend the mic also to Ms. Phyllis and Tyra, if you all have anything that you would like to add. 
Okay. Yes, I, I would. What I noticed when I was reading um, about the um, 1619 project, the first thing that I, that I thought about was um, sacred cows and how uh, most people do not want to um, give up their, their sacred cows. And so even with um, myself as a Black American, you know, some of the things that I read in the essays uh, were new to me, not most of it, though. And um, it was just very um, disconcerting, you know. Um, I, I, I read also um, an article in the New York Times about how historians, when uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones' uh, project was first uh, unveiled, so to speak, that uh, they wanted, they wrote letters about, you know, how how some things were not historically accurate and that um, she was not a historian and her and the other um, essayist opinions were just that, et cetera. And I thought about how, well, okay, so you, you all are historians and um, you have allowed certain uh, myths and untruths to be perpetuated for many years, maybe in your academic work, in your in your peer-reviewed journals, et cetera. You know, you set the record straight, but you didn't sit on any grand um, project of like trying to set the record straight for the masses. And so I, I, I also contended with, uh, internally, with the fact that, um, uh, Ms. Hannah Jones said that the United States was not created as a democracy, but a slaveocracy, and that the slaveocracy was, um, you know, even built into the Constitution. How the writers of the Constitution—it wasn't everything that they necessarily said, but it was also what they didn't say that helped to protect the peculiar institution of slavery. And so um, I, I think going into reading the project, if you haven't read it before, and if you were taught um, history in um, uh, public schools in the USA, that is going to take, um, some of it may be disconcerting for you. Um, and, and, I, and while I agree that the essayists, including Ms. Hannah Jones, are not um, historians. What they have done to set the record straight has much more than many historians have done. Um, I'm Ms. Phyllis, and I, I'll close for now. Thank you, Ms. Phyllis. Um, excellent points. Um, I would like to respond really quickly. So the claim that Ms. Hannah Jones is not a historian um, she was, and this is to the detractors who I, I, you know, I read that same criticism. She was inducted in 2020, uh, in the class of fellows for the Society of American Historians. And, you know, one of the things that really puzzled me also about the claim that, you know, of all the inaccuracies, I went to history.com. I went to Britannica, Forbes. I mean, I like I said, 60 different 
sites. Um, a lot of, most of them, or a lot of them, you know, commonly held sites as being accurate. Um, and they corroborated what, what was found um, in the project. So um, you also talked about the fact that she said that um, the country was founded as a slaveocracy. She well earned, in my opinion, she addresses the fabric of democracy. That's the first essay, which is hers. And she does an excellent job at laying the foundation of why America's foundation was not democratic. Um, and that the founders were actually quite well aware of this and were called out um, by British uh politicians and other people in Europe about their hypocrisy as it concerns slavery, because they themselves, the founding fathers, actually claimed that they were slaves to uh, the British government. And some, and she talks about how in the podcast, as well as her essay about how, um, you know, they were called out like, you know, why don't you ask the people that you're enslaving the Africans you're holding in slavery, uh, what it's like to be, to truly be a slave. Um, so she definitely, <laughs> I think that is a point. Um, the fact that that is not discussed, the fact that Thomas Jefferson was going to address slavery in the constitution directly, but um, or the Declaration of Independence, but was shouted down by um, slaveholders, Southern slaveholders, that they would not sign uh, the the Constitution or the Declaration, forgive me for not knowing which one exactly, but that they would refuse to sign if he um, stated anything directly about slavery. And I found it interesting that, you know, because we only get the perspective in American history about, you know, the founding fathers as though they're just innocent and just noble. They don't have any ulterior motives and that, you know, slavery was kind of upheld in that day, in that time period as just uh, a necessary evil, as Senator Tom Cotton uh, said when discussing the 1619 project and how evil it was. But you see from just the fact that a lot of the Europeans pushed back against the hypocrisy of the founding fathers that this was not the case. And this is why this project was important because it's like we've always seen history in terms of black and white. And the 1619 project showed that there's a lot more to it. It kind of um, painted, gave the history colors or nuance that we just don't see in traditional curricula. Tyra, did you have any comments? I'm just listening. Uh -oh. I am um, in looking at the, the title of this room, teaching accurate history in homeschool. That is, one, that is one of the reasons that I embraced first when I, took my daughter out of school was like, okay, now I'm really going to teach the truth. <laughs> so with things like the, you know, 1619 project and, um, you know, Dr. Henry Louis Gates and, um, you know, different videos on uh, Dr. John Hendricks Clark, you know, 
it 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 helps to I don't know to to hear to read to read it and to hear things orally has been I don't know just like a blessing um, for black homeschoolers for people who you know my mother would send me to school and I would come back and talk about the different things that I learned and my father he was a you know the family historian or whatever. And he would always sit me down and not nicely, but he would tell me um, the truth about history and the different things that happened when he was growing up. And, you know, my grandmother would tell me um, things about how she grew up in Iowa. And, you know, it made me want to learn more on my own. And so when I look at the title about the accurate history that we can teach in homeschool, I try to do my best to teach my daughter as accurate of history that I could, but it's ultimately up to her to try and find out on her own more. And that's what I like about this conversation is that, you know, we can talk, talk all we want, but the people listening have, you know, and, and we have that freedom to actually look it up to make you know for ourselves and so i like that you're giving this information and putting it out there for people to see for themselves and to even go farther so i'm enjoying this conversation yes thank you tyra Um, you make some excellent points here because um it does help to hear orally you know from our grandparents and our parents um, experiences and just to tie into that with the 1619 project, like the, they have an excellent, excellent podcast that accompanies it and it's free. It's on iTunes. But one of the things that really touched me was that in the first podcast, they actually talked to a man. He was 105 years old at the time, former slave. And in his own voice, you hear him discuss, um, just, you know, the impact of how terrible slavery was. And he, and there was a discussion about the fact that a lot of times, even with slavery, um, it's kind of, you know, abstract. You know, we know it happened, but we don't really, we, we're not really aware of the horrors of it. And so to hear him in his own words say um, in the podcast that, that if, things were to go back to slavery and he was still alive that he would kill himself it would be over for him he would not because it was just that horrid horrible he said you were treated like a dog um and so i think our kids need to hear from former slaves and they actually have some recordings on youtube and so tyra is definitely right like one of the things that i did with my girls they um I had this project as a self-paced type of deal that they went through over the summer and the interactive notebook that I gave them um, through Google Docs, um, they would read sections of it, but they would listen to the podcast um, and there were other links such as like what I alluded to listening to the words of of people who had been held in slavery themselves. And then to record their thoughts without my influence or to record a video and save 
save it um, as a part of that document, memorializing their own thoughts about what they had read and what they had learned. Um, because you do want, I think this is the 1619 Project, whether you agree with it or not, or you think it's accurate or not, it definitely causes causes you to, you know, want to explore other resources and to learn more about history. Um, and so that's what definitely happened. All right. And bringing Leslie to the stage. Good morning, Leslie. Did you have a, something you wanted to share? I do. Good morning, Good morning everyone. Good morning, Tara. Morning. Good morning, Ms. Phyllis. Good morning, Kendra. Thank you for, for hosting this room and this topic. I'm in the state of Indiana, and already this morning, I received um, a text message from a girlfriend. She's Caucasian. Um, she's definitely on the side of knowing that accurate history needs to be taught in our schools. Her child, her children are in the public school system that Sammy would have gone to um, had I not started homeschooling him. And this is the House bill that I'm talking about for Indiana, House Bill 1134. And I think back to when I was a teacher and imagining being a teacher in a classroom where I cannot teach accurate history, where even if my students have questions about accurate history, I now have to be very careful because I could very well lose my job. It bothers me. It's disgusting. It's despicable. Um, you know, I feel like I feel I feel I feel indifferent. It's kind of bittersweet because like we are the ones where we get to keep our children home. Right. We get to have our children to understand and appreciate accurate history. And that's the history of of, of, of America, the history of the world. Right. And then yet there are so many children that if this bill and other bills continue you know, to pass, they won't have this opportunity to learn accurate history. And then now you have so many teachers. Kendra, you're a former teacher. Tyra, I know you were going into the profession. And I believe Ms. Phyllis is a former teacher. Please forgive me if I've got that all mixed up. But I just can't imagine that now we have teachers who are leaving the profession, like they are leaving because it's censor censorship. How dare you tell me I have to submit my lesson plans? You're going to check them, correct them. And then now I, I'm, and my colleagues might even tell on me, there are stories at the country where colleagues are telling on other colleagues. Um, here in Indiana, I was told that at our local schools that books had to be removed from the elementary school library and up. I mean, and books like on Rosa Parks, you know, like books where there is nothing about this story that is going to incite people and have people become violent and whatnot. And so I thank you for sharing this because it just confirms our reason for homeschooling our children. And hopefully we can share with others that homeschooling is an option. There are ways that you can do this. Of course, we know everyone can't homeschool, but we've also, we've got to keep fighting this, right? We've got to be out there with these teachers and we've got to fight this because this is going to really mess up a lot of, of, of the world, but it's very intentional. Like you said, this is very intentional. We know, we know why they're doing this. 
And um, I'm all here for the discussion. So thank you so much. I'm Leslie and I'm complete. Thank you, Leslie. You always have something great to contribute to these conversations. I know you're just as passionate about this topic as I am. And you're absolutely right. Um, You know, everyone cannot homeschool. But I think that one of the things, and there definitely has to be advocacy and a fight within the school system. But I think also, you know, we have to... For those who are in public school, you know, being in public school doesn't mean that the, that our children have to still be um, taught this inaccurate, whitewashed, or Eurocentric version of American history or history, period. Um, and that's why, you know, this, the 1619 Project, again, is so impactful because they provide free curriculum resources um, I have stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers that's free. Um, there's so much free information out there. And as parents, whether you're a public school parent or a private school, a, you know, homeschooling parent, um, the onus is really on us to at least, in you know, put it before our children um, to learn about accurate history and how and and impart to them why it's important. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I feel like is also going to happen from this, from what's going on in the public school system, is that you're going to have parents now maybe start to really utilize community-based organizations that you know, like Sunday, I mean, not Sunday, <laughs> excuse me, but Saturday programs, self-paced, uh, self-study type of programs uh, within the community that exposes children um, and gives them, you know, fills in the gaps when it comes to accurate history that the public school refuses to do. And eventually, the public school system may find themselves uh, becoming obsolete in this area, which is a shame. Um, especially considering that here's the thing that gets me, Leslie, how is it that white children are leaving the public school system in droves, so to speak, right? Um, that's what the statistics say that, you know, in a few, in so many years that they will be the minority in the public school system, but yet, um, the conversation has been framed around them and yet, you would have you would basically force um children to read and to study things completely sanitized or devoid of them their you know black and brown contributions they can't see themselves in the curriculum but to but i feel like it is again to perpetuate um children who are ignorant of history so that change does not occur because here's the fallout that when our kids do know accurate history, that causes, um, they are going to be the change agents of the future. So how do you maintain and perpetuate the status quo? You keep them believing the same myths, the same untruths as the previous generation before. All right. Um, Ms. Phyllis and Tyra, before we move on to Cedric, did you have any comments? I'm done speaking. Um, I just like to, um, say that um it's it while um 
many of us, um, we may not realize this, but we homeschool from a place of privilege. Um, and even those um, who possibly don't, don't realize that many people, even me before I came into homeschooling, and it wasn't from a place of privilege, but um, I, I didn't, you know, I, I for whatever reason, I was so engaged with work um, with trying to spend what I call quality time with my son before and after uh, uh, dropping him off to daycare or school in the morning that I just didn't feel like I had time for a lot of things that I wanted to have or make time for. And so, um, like you were talking about, Kendra, Saturday schools, community programs, we're going to have to all be involved with this. And as Leslie said, the public school system too, because many people can't or don't homeschool. And so we we have to find a way to turn this situation around so that their children too can benefit from learning accurate history. And um, oftentimes we say, well, you know, the onus is on the parents. Well, this is, this is very true. Um, but, um, you know, with all that's going on in the world, I mean, people still don't realize how some families are just, they have been impacted so greatly by COVID-19. Uh, some people are just getting back into the workforce. Some people are working two and three jobs to make ends meet. It's we're all going to have to engage like the village we're supposed to be. Um, I'm done for now. All right, Tyra. Yes, I just wanted to ask. It's just it's something that just has been on my mind since all this began about not wanting to teach the truth in schools. Is I don't know. Have you guys thought about? And you kind of alluded to it. When these kids are in this generation of not being taught the truth, when they get older and they get around other people that know the truth, I mean, aren't they going to look just flat out ignorant I and mean, that's that's just me because i'm like how why would you want that why would you want your child to be flat out ignorant when they get out in the world and they actually talk to people who read and that's just it just blows my mind i'm sorry i had to get that no out. you make an excellent point i think the real honest to be honest with you i think that most people um us you know sometimes they will come across people that know accurate, accurate history and it will challenge their thinking. But if you think about how things are now in social media and whatnot, uh, we will, I mean, people can insulate themselves um, with, <laughs> surround themselves with people that only think like them so that they can and only reinforce the what they believe so that they don't have to be challenged. I mean, I mean, I'll give you a good example of this. Uh, and this is my opinion and I stand by it. You know, Candace Owens um, is a black conservative, for example, whose spouse talks out the side of her neck with such ignorance. And yet she is just venerated by a lot of conservatives. But, you know, she's just as ignorant and 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 looking out for herself or making exploiting uh, history um, is exploiting ignorance of history 
to her own financial ends. Now, that's my opinion. But the person who typically listens to Candace Owens, rarely will they step outside of those circles. Um, And the minute they do, they are challenged in their thinking. Um, For example, say they venture out to someone who thinks differently about Candace Owens and the things she talks about, for example, they're going to quickly go back and reinforce to comfort themselves to reinforce what they believe. So I think it I think that that's what is hoped for because a lot of our worldview and our experiences um also affect us. So if we haven't if we haven't personally experienced discrimination, if we haven't personally experienced systemic racism, if we haven't then we can say it's not true or it's not real and that and say someone else's experiences are exaggerated or farcical, right? And then we can surround ourselves with other people who have not had those same uh, experiences and mindsets or whatnot and insulate ourselves. So I think that's a good question. But I also think that the norm now has been everything is us against them to, to a place where we can shut ourselves off from hearing any contradiction to insulate ourselves so we feel comfortable in our ignorance. Kendra, I wanted to say something. It made me think of when Zoe, this is when Zoe was younger, like when we first started co-op, she might've been in the sixth, seventh grade. And one of her teachers, it was about history. You know, I'm, I'm always, you know, when she's being taught history, I, I always sat in and listened because I wanted to make sure she was, you know, Whatever they were telling her, I kind of, you know, was like, I I need to know, I need to tell the truth. Anyway, so one of her projects was, it was close to Thanksgiving. And one of her projects was, you know, you could either pick a pilgrim to draw and be and talk about it or a Native American. Of course, Zoe chose the Native American. And they were supposed to read these certain books. um, And Zoe did. But then, we went a little further and we did more research about the Native Americans at that time. And when Zoe was time for Zoe to get up and she, you know, they had like a, a life-size drawing and she was the only one that did uh, Native American and that was okay. And she started talking and doing her presentation. And now the teachers was a little bit older than me. She was my age. And she looked, kept looking at Zoe and was frowning and shaking her head. And at the end of the class, she says, Zoe, I never knew that. Now, this is a person who's very highly educated and was teaching other kids history. But she never took the time to actually learn the accurate history. She only learned the whitewashed part of it and was teaching other kids. Zoe was the only little black child in the class. But that meant, that means nothing. Everybody should know the accurate history. And so when we were walking to her car, she stopped me. She said, I did not know that. She said, and I am a history teacher. She said, and I'm sorry that I didn't know that. And she felt like, you know, uh, this sixth grader knows more about what she was teaching than she did. You know, and that's probably a lot with a lot of teachers. I, you know, I love teachers, but as human beings, we need to know the truth about all history, 
which includes black people, brown people, people that you know, Asians, Native, I mean, everybody. And when you only want, girl, I'm about to get. Um, I knew this talk was going to get me there, but uh, I'm done. No, no. Can I just yeah. say one thing? Yeah, sure, Leslie. Um, say one thing, and then we'll move on to Cedric. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And it's what Tyra is saying, and and we all know that, like the teacher Ty- that Zoe had. We know that there are so many teachers who are amazing, wonderful, competent teachers. And it's it's a blessing that her teacher even was vulnerable and said, I did not even know this. What's sad is that we have so many teachers who are on the side of knowing that every child, every child, regardless of your difference, deserves to know accurate history. And what it's going to come down to is do I risk telling my children, all of the children, the truth or do I lose my job? And that's what's so sad that this is now putting teachers bread and butter, their their, their livelihoods, their families at stake because of systemic racism. Thank you. Amen, Leslie. Well said. And here's the thing before we move on two things I'm going to say real quick and then Cedric you got it um number one I if I want to say anything negative about the 1619 project or uh I would say that they did address aspects of education and systemic racism in education but um it definitely I think there should be and I'm sure there are other references and resources, but that it was is a huge one. Um, just some of those issues. Um, and secondly, Tyra, you're right. Um, it, I have, you know, we do need to equip our kids to be able, when they're in these classes, to uh, teach or to speak to accurate history. And I'm going to share my daughter daughter's experience with that based on the 1619 project but i'm gonna go ahead and um pass the mic to cedric thank you cedric for waiting so patiently i'm done speaking hey thank you all uh, probably i'm gonna say bear with me because i'm in the, in the middle of finishing up lunch with my son and i'll we'll put him down for a nap but uh yeah, I figured I would chime in just because um, there's a couple of things that jump out at me, of course. Um, you know, being a black man, of course, and then being a father. Um, you know, what I recognize and what I think about often is kind of to the point of the content um, that's being taught and, and who creates it. Um, and which is why, for me, I thought about, well, if something were to happen to me, Right. Uh, what does that mean on behalf of my son and, and other you know, children like him? Right. Uh, which is why I think for us, it's extremely important to get to a point where we are more so kind of the, the people who draft and create that narrative. Right. Like so for to the, the point of, you know, children of right now growing up. Right. And then becoming you know, to certain spaces. We want is thinking about. How do we make sure that uh, the, the youth of today have access to the stories, right, going forward? Um, whereas right now we can tap into, you know, previous uh, previous accounts and, and narratives, you know, from our ancestors or, you know, from folks who are, you know, that's the crazy thing about it to me is that a lot of times 
these things are thought of as so long ago, right? Like, and it's, it's really not oh. that long ago if you look at the timeline of things, right, in the grand scheme. So, oh. you know, these are, we're talking about people's oh. you know, great-grandparents, like, a couple generations back. It's what? really not that far away. Um, and a lot of the folks are, you know, who have experienced a lot of the, the ill, you know, the ills, not maybe, maybe not necessarily of enslavement directly, but, um, you know, even Jim Crow era, so on and so right. forth. Like those people are still alive. That's my mom. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Bridges is still out here walking around. So like, let's not, you know, let's, let, let's not that go, let that go over our heads, um, in terms of like where we are in, in that timeline, because for me, the way I look at it is. Number one, um, you know, being somebody who's more on the on that that content creative side um, in terms of, you know, education and content and things like that and information. I'm like, all right, well, what am I producing? What am I putting out there that can be used later? Because I'm not going to always be here. And I think that I'll, you know, I kind of land with this. For us, I think there's there's a lot of power um, in. The idea of you know, I guess controlling the narrative and us being the ones who essentially kind of sculpt, you know, what, what is going to be read a hundred years from now. Like that's, that's kind of on us, right. Where, you know, those stories, maybe they get lost, um, you know, or whatever, what have you. But the main thing is documentation, right. We can't argue with documentation, right. You can't argue with a, a narrative that is directly from, a person's mouth who who experienced something and also is written and things like that. So I, my main thing is and focuses on what am I doing to support that? And then also, you know, empowering and, and supporting and uplifting other people um, to do the same things. Right. Even if you feel like, you know, you might not be this big figure in black history, like you are black history, if you are black. Right. So what, what is, what is your stance and what is, what is, what does your voice say? Because your voice has to be included in the mix as well. Um, I'll end there for now, but I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Cedric. And just speaking to that, you know, you're absolutely right. And I think this was the 1619 project, for example, was so impactful because here you have a black journalist and other black essayists who dared to <laughs> who dared to speak about American history, as Miss Phyllis calls it, um, the sacred cow. Um, in a different light, in a different perspective, but still just as important. Um, and then secondly, I will say that um, it's important as well that you're right. We do control the narrative. But one of the things that has also, in my mind, sparked from the 1619 Project, I said before that, you know, just like I don't want a Euro, a completely Eurocentric um, uh, perspective on history. Um, it promote in my mind. Once I got through reading the project, now you know I want to hear about um, the Latino or Hispanic uh, experience in this country um, and the struggles um, of of Black people or Afro people in. Spanish speaking countries, for example, I want to learn about the Asian experience because they had struggles in it too. Um, and the native Americans. So it's not, you know, this to me is started a conversation that really needs to continue and expand. Miss Phyllis, you had any comments? Yeah. Um, 
I'll address what you just said, but then I have another comment. Um, I'm interested in those um, perspectives too. And I think that it's up to people from, from those ethnicities to come up with, with something. And the reason I say that is because the story is always told differently from the, the captor's view is always different from the captives, the enslavers from the enslaves, et cetera. And in each ethnicity, um, the, you know, a lot of people have uh, what I call primary sources, just like I consider uh, a lot of the history that I learned, the primary source was my um, my grandmother who was born in 1901, my father who was born in 1922, who will, um, the, there will be the centennial of his birthday on March 19th. These were primary sources for me. And so a, a, a people from different ethnic groups, they have access to primary sources that other people may not. The other thing that I thought about was my own conflict about public schools. When I think about public schools, I'm not a homeschooler who uh, thinks all public schoolers are all public schools are horrible. I think there are some great public schools, but I also know that public schools are the ones. Uh, this whole system that we have here has created the school to prison pipeline. Uh, I think about who I want teaching accurate history to children, specifically Black children, because I think about, well, you know, this is the same system where uh, Black children are being punished uh, more severely, suspended, you know, um, uh, sometimes even as early as in preschool. Do I want some of these educators teaching my children, and I consider them to be my children as I'm an elder, uh, accurate history, how can you do that when you don't even care about them and you have your own biases, prejudices, and you behave in racist ways toward them? Um, I, I honestly believe that it is up to uh, our communities and um, our parents and grandparents and whomever else can teach accurate history to our children. I'm Miss Phyllis, and I'm done speaking. Absolutely correct, Miss Phyllis. I agree 100% that it does depend upon who is teaching. I'm so glad you said that. Could I say one thing, too, on top of what Phyllis and Tara said? Yes, go ahead, Leslie. Um, we, we talk about the village. I think about all of the... Or Many of the organizations have to step up to the plate, right? I belong to some of those organizations, Black organizations. Like, what are we doing to help the children that cannot be homeschooled? And so I believe someone mentioned maybe a Saturday program, maybe something at the Y. I mean, there's so many you know, big brothers and sisters, right? Jack and Jill, um, fraternities and sororities, um, church groups, uh, community centers, like we have got to come together and this needs to be on the agenda for the upcoming fiscal year. Like a lot of the other stuff is important, but our children 
are most important. We've got to teach them accurate history if the schools are failing to do so. So step up organizations. And I'm I'm part of that. So I'm telling myself to step up. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Ms. Phyllis. Y'all go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll be very I'll I'll be very concise. Um, What I have seen, um, uh, which what what I found interesting is on TikTok, and yes, Miss Phyllis is on TikTok. Uh, I keep my um, finger on the pulse of everything that's happening. Um, What I have noticed that there there are people I would call them amateur historians, and although they're not, you know, doing full history lessons, because I think. Uh, you know, a video can only be like somewhere between 30 seconds and three minutes on TikTok. They are giving out information that will cause young people to search further. And they're teaching things that the, the, the people didn't learn in school. And I look at the comments and the young people um, are saying things like, wow, you know, I never learned that. Some of them are searching further. I mean, there are so many things that we can do to get the ball rolling, like Leslie said. But we all have to, um, uh, you know, pl- uh, play the role that we're supposed to play in this. I'm done. Great. Thank you, Ms. Phyllis. Um, um, I'm trying to get Sarah to be on stage. I don't know why it's not allowing me to pull her up, but I was just Ms. Phyllis and Tyra, if you all can... Uh, see if you can add her to the stage. I'd appreciate it. Oh, um, I can't, Sarah, I can't add you to the stage. I don't know why. Is it maybe if you come and maybe if you leave and come back? I was okay. going to suggest leaving and coming back, Sarah. Leave the room and then come back and we'll see if we can bring you to the stage. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, so another thing. So Leslie made some good points about the community. Um, so the 1619 project is a spring for us, it was a springboard, right? But, um, from there, I learned about other curricula, uh, black history curricula specifically, um, that does just that. One of those is I did a review on black history 365. Um, and they actually, that curricula actually has a Saturday program that is able to be implemented in your community. Um, I've also done a review on woke homeschooling. um, And that too, that covers American history and it uses different resources to do so. Um, But again, um, having that more nuanced perspective. So I definitely agree with that. I wanted to also speak to a, to really quickly speak to the impact that a certain section had on my daughter and myself. Um, and that was the, the, the discussion of medical apartheid, um, or medical discrimination in history. Um, for example, so, and, and alluding also in her experience, my daughter's experience to, um, having to, educate, I would say, her class. Um, So that really, that aspect of the 1619 Project really impacted us. My daughter um, um, is really into science. And so, you know, she wants to major in a STEM discipline. And 
we were reading, for example, how um, in slave during slavery, how experiments were conducted on slaves without anesthesia. Um, it was there was discussion on how uh, black people were perceived or black people were perceived to be not didn't to not have a strong like strong lungs so that's that justified slavery because they needed to work to strengthen their lungs that we could withstand more pain because our skin was thicker um also that we were more that black men were um more i guess lack having lack of sexual control so it was like you know the stud stereotype and how these stereotypes continue or have been perpetuated in the medical community even today, which is why we still have a number of uh, disparities when it comes to health care. And I thought that the essayist with the 1619 Project did an excellent job of that. Well, my daughter was impacted when learning about that as well because... Um, she went and did a term paper. She had an English writing uh, composition class and her term or her thesis paper was about um, medical discrimination, its history and how black bodies have been um, exploited for the benefit of, you know, white society um, or larger society. And, um, that the gains that have been made in science and whatnot, billion dollar industry with research and whatnot continues to be exploited. I know many of you have heard of Henrietta Lacks uh, case. That family has never been compensated to this day, although her cell lines have been used for a number of uh, the cancer cells that she, she died of, um, I want to say ovarian cancer, but she died of cancer, a cervical cancer. But those cell lines are still being used today. Um, for years, they were used without um, the family's knowledge and without compensation. And the lady that wrote the book has made money from the book. I don't know and, and I'm not sure if the family was compensated from the sales or proceeds of the book, but I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't. So that's, again, speaking to um, what Cedric was saying about who controls the narrative um, and and needing to record this. Um, and then, so that was a way specifically that the 1619 Project um, impacted my daughter and she wrote her thesis paper. Now, mind you, the the school that the online academy that she was with was through HSLDA, which is a... Uh, white evangelical conservative crowd. And so, you know, <laughs> it was so funny. Her teacher, you know, we had, you know, evidence, right, to support, you know, what was being said. And, you know, her teacher wanted her to take out certain, I guess, evidence to shorten the paper, you know, to meet some arbitrary deal. And I was like, no, I was like, leave it in there because if you take certain things out, it weakens your point. And I'd rather you take the L than the, you know, to give into that because the purpose is to educate. And so that's speaking to Tyra. Um, I, <laughs> it was burdensome at times to have to do that constantly when I was growing up. 
But one of the things that um, is important to me now is that if my kids are going to have to do that, let them let them be knowledgeable enough to be able to respond. So I'm done speaking. If anyone else had any comments, please um, let me know. And then I want to invite you all. We're getting ready to close, but I wanted to invite anyone else in the audience um, if they are wanting to come to the stage and comment to please do so now. I'm done speaking. Does anybody remember uh, or if they still have the Urban League? Does that still exist anymore? It does. It it does. Yeah, it it does, Tyra. There are chapters in every city. And um, I know here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, it's very active. And there are programs that will allow the teaching of African-American in all history. Well, why I said that is because even though I went to public schools and Catholic schools, my mom would, we go to the Urban League meetings when I was younger, up until I was in high school. I mean, yeah, when I graduated. And so they did teach us about African history and African-American history. In fact, they had a contest every year um, within the, the, Amer- the uh, Urban League. And I won one year writing on Martin Luther King. And so it is important that we do have commu- uh, communities and certain centers, like Les- what Leslie said, that will teach our children. Because I learned so much from uh, my mom having us involved in the Urban League when we were younger. Both uh, me and, and my brother. So they helped me with, you know, getting into college and, and they helped me study for uh, the SAT and they helped us look for jobs. I mean, I, it was just amazing. I don't even know if Urban League even exists anymore in Omaha. So I just, that's why I wanted to ask if it existed at other places because it is so important. Yes, thank you so much, Tyra. And I want to just share before we move on to Ahava. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. But give you an example. So recently, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones was asked to speak at a university. The name, the university was not disclosed uh, for Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> and um, there was a lot of, a huge uproar um, about you know, her speaking, they were saying that she's divisive and this, that, and the other, and they didn't want her to speak, but the, you know, the university persisted with her speaking. Well, in honor of Martin Luther King day, she, um, she spoke, but what she did was instead of, she scrapped her speech, she scrapped her original speech and she took, um, snippets from Martin Luther King's speeches. Okay. Um, and you can find this on her Twitter account if you want to read what she basically said, but she took snippets from his speeches and stuff that he had written previously. And she didn't say that it was from him and she read it to the crowd or she read, you know, this was her speech. And then at the very end, she, because, you know, Martin Luther King is someone else who has been co-opted and who oftentimes is mischaracterized or not completely or fully uh, taught accurately. Um, But she, then at the very end of her speech, 
said that all of her words were from Martin Luther King. And it was a mic drop moment. The whole place was silent. They were like, wow. And so, and she was talking about how it is important that um, the narrative that's, you know, we don't let people who are seeking to exploit and who don't care or for their own agendas be the primary purveyors or narrators of even the legacies of people like Martin Luther King. Um, so if you can want, you can check her statements out on Twitter. It was really, and she did an excellent job. Um, Miss Phyllis. Yes. At this point, we'd like to, um, I'd like to do a couple of things, encourage you to um, click on the box next to a heart for homeschool um, for uh, more um clubhouse rooms and to gain access to more information. And also we're going to be mindful of um, our lead moderator's time. Kendra has um, an engagement at 1130. So from henceforth, uh, let's all the comments be very concise so that she can end the room at a time where she can make it to her next engagement. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Phyllis. Thank you. Um, passing the mic now to Ahava. Hey, everyone. Um, I honestly just had a quick question for you guys. I really enjoyed this conversation. So as of now, I am homeschooling my five, eight, and nine-year-old, and we haven't really gotten into um, our history yet because I kind of haven't figured out how to approach it. And I wanted to ask you ladies, what are some of your favorite resources? Like, are there, especially for the younger ones, like were there certain books that you guys enjoyed or certain documentaries or something so I can start kind of easing them into this? Um, kind of, I don't know where to start, but I really enjoyed the 1619 Project Room and I'm going to be reading into it, but I just kind of wanted to see where you guys thought that I might start with them being so young. Excellent question, Ahava. I'm so glad that you asked this question. So I don't have a ton of resources. Oh, you know what? I do have some resources. So number one, if you click on the link that's um, at the top, the 1619 Project actually has a children's book called Born on the Water. And it is specifically for children, I want to say, ranging from like ages five to nine. So that's one. Um, and then I also will direct you to my website, www.aheartthenumber4homeschool.com, because Woke Homeschooling that I spoke about earlier, I did a review for their high school curriculum, um, but they actually have elementary and middle school curricula as well. Um, and so I did a review and I have links um, for them, uh, for that curricula that will lead you to their website. And, and this, uh, curricula is really, uh, special in that it's not just like textbook form, but it's pooling a number of resources and it guides you through activities and things that you can do. And you as the parent can choose which materials best suit, um, your, you and your child's needs. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Ahava. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And passing the mic now to Varlene. Yes. Hi, how are you? Um, I love this conversation. 
Um, just wanted to comment on really quickly about um, just the importance of, of the history of our history and just like the STEM science. I'm a healthcare professional and I just wanted to point out like how um, I look at labs, you know, medical labs all the time. And there was this one specific lab that was African-American um, EGFR and non-African-American EGFR. And pretty much this lab number was pretty much constructed based off of a social construct. And just recently when I was at work, I noticed that it was gone. Um, and it was because of a task force that said that we need to get rid of this. And so just, just knowing now that still, that just knowing that today, still today, race affects how we do things, even in the medical field. I mean, we know that it does in the medical field, but just to down to the uh, really important lab number. Um, and now we have task force that are getting rid of these things so that there can be more equality. And so just so important for our kids to know um, that these things really do affect our day to day, even when we don't know it. So thank you for letting me um, um, take the stage. I'm done. Thank you. Thank you so much, Varlene. You are absolutely correct. Uh, my daughter and I discovered that. Um, I have a friend who's a doctor. She will confirm that even how doctors are respond to black, uh, black and brown patients in terms of pain management. Um, and in terms of, you know, when there is a complaint, even that, um, they're having a, a really address that, um, I think it's called implicit bias that doctors uh, have these assumptions or stereotypes to better, uh, educate doctors. So absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and, Passing the mic now to Malcolm. Uh, like the others, beautiful conversation. Appreciate the work. Unfortunately, I only heard about 15 minutes of it. Yeah, you know, uh, the federal government, the state government has constructed uh, a funding schema of where the tax dollars will follow the child. And so now for some religious schools, tax dollars follow the child. Malcolm, you're, you're in the matrix. Oh, okay. Well, I'll let someone else speak. I'm driving anyway. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, passing, now, before Steve speaks, I want to just share. So Steve um, definitely can speak to the importance of educating our kids on accurate history, the importance of um, understanding history and in regards to health and whatnot and science. So I'm super excited for Steve to um, be on stage. Steve? Hello, Kendra. How are you doing? I hope everybody's safe and healthy. Thanks for letting me come up. Um, I've listened to everybody, and, and, and I carry it as, a, as my mantra every day moving forward that we educate. Um, we, except what we decided to do was to use superheroes to do it. That's the, that seems to be a visual language that people seem to accept. And so we dove deep into developing each character based on cultural fact, medical fact, historic fact. Um, I never claimed to be the know-all, so therefore I, I work diligently to find subject matter experts from around the world who have given their lives to the research that they've done. And so they verify that, uh, you know, everything is accurate as far as anything in reference to any historical significance and doctors and scientists are on board lending their expertise to the medical accuracy. 
uh, even the storylines. You know, we have different character groups, but the one that's out right now are the Guardians of the Cure. And all of those stories are based on interviews that we actually had with people who were dealing with different medical setbacks. And so therefore, when it, you know, I, you know, it, it hit my heart when you talked about how women of color are dealing with, with medical diagnoses that say that, you know, they don't need this much painkiller or, or whatever. And with the accuracy of those stories, then those facts can be released. They can be told in context. And the thing is, is that like hospitals are using some of our work to help educate their patients. But the thing that I find out when I get feedback from people who read some of our stories is um, they say, hey, thank you for telling the truth. I said, well, it wasn't me that told the truth. It was someone in your shoes who told the truth. And I just had the obligation to make sure that there was accuracy in that. You know, when you when you when you hear someone's story, it's, it's a lot different than me saying, well, this villain came from Krypton and it's going to destroy the world. When you hear that person tell the story, and I'm telling you guys, I mean, they are emotional roller coasters. And you have, I, I just felt this, this, this right, that this obligation where I had to tell the truth. Yeah, we put the superhero characters in the story, but it didn't deviate from what the truth was, right? And so, and then a lot of them passed away. A lot of them have passed away and you have, you feel this obligation to their family to tell the truth, you know? So we're like, that deals with medical, but then we're also developing historic based characters. And I'm very fortunate now that I have, you know, principals of color who are waiting for some of our stories to be told where kids will learn about the devil's punch bowl. I mean, yeah, you know, it's black history month, but come on, let's be real. You guys, you take Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X and Frederick Douglass out of the conversation and people don't really have too much to talk about. So what we're hoping is that through this introduction of, of other truths that you're going to be talking about more than just that, than those people. I mean, you think that Martin Luther King is like the default answer for everything in black history. Who created ice cream? I think it was Martin Luther King. You know, it's going to be something like that. You know, so um, it's, we just feel the importance of telling the truth in an in a entertaining way, but it is the truth. And I surrender the mic. Thank you, Steve. For those of you who do not know Steve, I want to invite you to check out his profile. Steve creates, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, but digital um, animated comic books um, and just animation and whatnot that um, with superheroes as characters to make uh, learning interesting for kids. Um, and he is just doing some amazing work. I would like to interview you, Steve, um, so you can really lay out what you're doing because I just really have been impressed. Um, but yeah, it is important. Um, and you're right. I was I was laughing uh, when you said, yeah, because that's the deep Martin Luther King for some who don't know, that's the default answer for everything Black history. And we, we definitely need to change that. And we need to also, here's the other thing, um, and these will be my closing remarks, and then I'll pass it to Tyra and Miss Phyllis. This has been an amazing conversation. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. I want to invite you to check out um, the links, uh, the Google document that I've linked um, on the page um, to give you a listing of free resources on the 1619 Project um, and, and how you can 
create your own curriculum, uh, access free curriculum, podcasts, um, etc. But I wanted to just say also that one of the things that also struck me from reading the 1619 Project and, and specifically Nicole Hannah-Jones' essay, it really was phenomenal. Um, you know, we when we hear the word patriot or patriotic, patriotism, um, in my mind, or we we constantly hear only one type of person. That's a white male or white people and um, whatnot. And, and to me, when you hear any talk of patriotism or whatnot, often in the social media and the social realm, that is who is alluded to. But um, I think that a paradigm shift needs to happen. Um, and that the 1619, like there have been so many contributions for, from so many groups of people, so many different walks. Um, and we need to change the narrative about, because so many have, you know, struggled, uh, died, shed their blood, their tears, labored for this country, um, and, and indeed impacted the world. Okay. Um, and so I think our thinking needs to expand and needs to broaden. And that is the biggest or the greatest thing that I have taken from just reading the 1619 project. Um, and I'll end on that note for myself, Ms. Phyllis, did you have any, um, last comments? Yes. I'll make them brief. Um, it's been a very interesting room, uh, very informative. Um, I would also say that um, over the last, I'd say two years, it's, it, or it's, it actually has been longer than the 1619 uh, project has been around, that it's very important that when we teach um, this accurate history to our children, that we use precise and um, a language that accurately describes things. I no longer refer to my ancestors as slaves. I refer to them as the enslaved and um, uh, that they were kidnapped and that they were falsely imprisoned because this is what happened to them. I no longer refer to what is commonly, uh, no, who is commonly known as the founding fathers as founding fathers. I refer to them, I used to refer to them as founders but the 1619 Project has, has uh, challenged me as to referring to my uh, ancestors as the true founders of this country. I noticed that this is a term that Hannah, um, uh, Hannah Jones uses um, to describe uh, the, um, what, what, who is known as um, the founding fathers of this country. She referred to them as the founders, and sometimes she vacillates between founders and founding fathers, but there has, has to be accurate and precise ways of describing the roles of the people in this whole, um, what can I say, um, scenario. Um, and I'm Miss Phyllis and I'm done. Thank you, Ms. Phyllis. I completely agree. What you say is definitely powerful. I was in college at uh, HBCU, PV, PVAMU. Um, and that was one of the things that I'll never forget that our history teacher, who was a former Black Panther, said um, he, would, he wouldn't he would allow us to say 
slaves either. He would allow, he, we would say those enslaved or those held in slavery. So you're absolutely right because words do matter. And I have seen as many of you have that in inaccurate curricula, they will, they will call in those enslaved workers as though somehow they were being compensated and that this was just their job. Um, and so, so perpetuating ignorance. So thank you for those comments. And Tyra, do you have any last comments? Yes. You know, Leslie's gone though, but what she said was so important that, you know, we know the truth. What are we going to do about it? What is our community doing? What are people in our community doing for the kids that, you know, are in public school still or are not getting the truth? And, and if you can't do it on a wider scale, then, you know, it needs to start at home. And you see where my where my name is. That is a painting that my daughter did. And that is a huge mural of women from the 17th century till now. And I, I look at what I've learned and I've passed to Zoe. She's now taking that torch. And in her using her talents, she told me, she said, you know what, mom? Because somebody had asked her in one of her interviews, what does she like to call herself? Does she want to just call herself an artist, a female artist, you know, or a black artist? Because, you know, she never thought that. She said, well, I want to be known as a black female artist because I'm all three. And she said, it's my responsibility being a black female artist to represent. And so... In her art, she paints beautiful black women, she said, because she sees so much beauty in our skin and in our eyes. And, and you know, she does a lot of um, illustrations. She, you know, she illustrates a lot of children's books. And the majority of her children's books all have representation of little black kids and about being a loving our skin complexion. And, you know, it's. I'm so proud of her because in her own way, she is doing what she can. And, you know, it, it really pissed her off because when she was doing a lot of art history studying, she's, she loves the Renaissance, you know, she loves the black, the Harlem Renaissance, but she also loves the European Renaissance. And it upset her so much because she couldn't find any paintings of black women or black people, just a couple. And they were pictures of them, you know, being helpers or slaves or, you know, help fixing a dress, just a couple of them. And she was like, that's unacceptable. She said, from now on, when I see the paintings that I love in Renaissance, I'm going to make them into black women. And so if you ever, I don't, I don't know if you ever see her painting. Uh, it's in a, it's an exhibit now. It's called African Mother. That is actually. Uh, the original was a portrait in Renaissance. She just took that look of the portrait that she liked and she turned it into the African mother. So Zoe in her way is showing just how beautiful black people are and just how beautiful to love yourself. And she wants her art to reflect her. And that's all, you know, as human beings, we want to be included. We want to be seen. You know, we want to be we want to be part of the, you know, part of what's going on. And so that is her way of teaching. 
everybody about how wonderful black people are and just how wonderful people are. Cause she is, you know, my daughter is a wonderful human being and she loves people, period. Doesn't matter what color you are or whatever. But she also lets people and young kids that she knows that she talks to, you know, let them know about, you know, black culture, about black music, black art, you know. So in her own way, she is teaching who she can. So I, I just admire that uh, at her being such a young, being such a young age. And I hope that she continues that. And I hope that our children can take up the torch um, and keep on going with it. So this is a wonderful discussion, Kendra. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Tyra. This is wonder- wonderful because it is the perfect... Um, perfect end uh, because ultimately we want our children to be educated with the truth and to take that truth and produce something um, for society or larger society that is, is beautiful. And that is what Zoe is doing. So thank you very much for that. I hope you enjoyed our clubhouse discussion on the 1619 project. I want to invite you to visit my website, www a heart for homeschool.com that's www.aheart the number four homeschool.com and download a free list of resources for the 1619 project be sure to check out my next podcast episode where we will explore the question is homeschooling the solution to systemic racism in education